I want you to imagine yourself living in a country as an immigrant. I want you to imagine yourself learning a new language in that new country. Imagine yourself facing many, many difficulties. Imagine yourself being financially poor, without lots of material things and sometimes without what you need. Imagine yourself facing all around you moral filth and evil in your new situation. Imagine yourself surrounded by those who are needy, widows and orphans. Imagine starting a little church with other believers, a baby church in your neighborhood. Imagine yourself being sued and taken to court by wealthy people who hate both you and your Jesus. Imagine battling envy and selfish ambition that spring up like weeds in your heart and mind from time to time. Imagine yourself being brokenhearted when you see quarreling and fighting between believers in your fledging local assembly. Imagine hearing bad, destructive talk behind other Christians' backs in that little church. Imagine being doubted in the truthfulness of your statements made to other Christians. Imagine being in trouble. Imagine being sick. What I have invited us all to imagine in these seconds was the reality for the first readers of the book of James. They lived out all of those things. They were hard-pressed. Great pressure was upon them in their daily lives, day after day after day. I have been around the block long enough as a Christian and pastor, and I have been around the block of the Bahamas, the beautiful Bahamas where we all live, to know that there are many pressures on everyone within the sound of my voice this morning, including the man in the pulpit. There are many pressures, whether we look all tidy and put together on a Sunday or whether we look haggard and weary and tired, there are many pressures. We're all pressured. Part of parcel of being a human who's not yet with Jesus in heaven is that we're pressured. And so with that context, I want to point out to you what the Bible does, that pressure is what squeezes out of the pressured person what's in them already. Pressure will either squeeze out of the person pressured self, or pressure will squeeze out of the person pressured the fruit of the Spirit, resemblance to the Savior. Pressured people put on show, whether they like it or not, either their flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. Today, in James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, pressured persons, the first readers, and by extension you and me, are going to get some inspired advice. Pressured persons are going to be told one thing 
to dwell on, and three things to exude when squeezed. One thing to dwell on and three things to put on display when we are pressured. Ready? Let's read the passage, and then we will go on from there. James 5, 7 to 12. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too are to be patient, strengthened in your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed and who endured, who have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Say that with me, church. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall into judgment. We're to dwell on one thing when pressured, the sure return of Christ, his second coming, and in so doing, we are to produce, display, put on show three things. We are to put on show three things. 7a, be patient, then, my brothers, until the Lord's coming. Verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters. You will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So don't miss it. It's very clear in your outlines. The first point of this sermon is that pressured persons are to dwell on the prospect of the second coming of Christ. When you feel most pressured, when I feel most pressured, we should point our minds to the sure second coming return of Jesus. A pressured business executive once said, usually I feel like the bottom pot of a double boiler. I don't ever know what's cooking, but I constantly feel the heat. Can you relate to that? You and I may feel like the bottom pots of a double boiler, but we don't ever have to wonder what's cooking. We can know that simultaneous to our pressures, intertwined amongst our pressures, that God is up to something. And here's what he's up to. In the midst of our trials and our troubles and our pressures, God is orchestrating human history to move to the time of his son's return one day closer at a time. That's what's always cooking. God is relentlessly moving human history with surgical precision to the time when God's Son will appear on the earth. Can you get excited about that? That God, in his sovereignty, is relentlessly pushing your personal history with surgical precision to the event of your Savior's 
return. And so this being said, we are to dwell on the second coming of Christ. The songs we've selected that we've sung, uh, including the special music in this hour, have all been selected to show that we can do that. We can step out of our pressure, and we can focus on the prospect and the promise of Christ's second coming. Let me illustrate. Consider that a parent found it necessary to leave his 10-year-old boy outside a busy Walmart for a time before picking him up again. And that 10-year-old boy might face some pressures, probably he would, standing there waiting for his daddy to pick him up in the family van. A woman could ask the boy for directions to a street which he is unfamiliar with. Pressure. An elderly man could come along to the boy and ask the boy to watch his briefcase while he goes back into the store to retrieve something. More pressure. One of the boy's peers, one of his buddies, could bicycle by and see the boy standing waiting for his daddy outside Walmart, and the friend could then say, well, I'll give you a ride home. Jump on the handlebars of my bike, and I'll get you home lickety-split. More pressure on the boy. There could be a person who's canvassing for the Boy Scouts outside the Walmart and wants the 10-year-old boy unaccompanied to give some money to the Boy Scouts. Pressures on the boy, 10 years old, outside Walmart, doing what his daddy said, wait here for me. Just wait here for me, and I'll come back. Do you know what will help that boy face all the pressures he's facing? Thinking about his daddy coming back. He said he'd come back. He's always come back before. I'm going to think about him coming back, not riding on your bike handlebars, not going to give to your good cause or bad cause, not going to worry about directions when I don't know where the street is. I'm just going to stand here or sit here and wait for my dad. And when the boy does that, I imagine he'll have a lot more peace. He won't be rattled. He won't be conflicted in his thinking. He'll just wait for a dependable daddy to pull up in his minivan and to roll down the window and say, Jim, come. Pressure points is the title of this sermon. And there's truth in these verses that give us God's pointers for when we are pressured. Of course, decisions are always squeezed out of us when we're pressured. Decisions were being squeezed out of the boy in the illustration in front of Walmart. All the circumstances he encountered in front of the Walmart, waiting for his daddy to return, were squeezing decisions out of him. What would he do? What would he not do? What would he say? What would he not say? Decisions, decisions, decisions. Decisions about briefcases and riding double on bicycles and decisions about donation. All were being squeezed out of the boy while he waited for his dad. You're pressured. I know you are today. Something in you, today you're going to face, something in this week you're going to face that you know about, or things will happen this day or this week that you know nothing about that are going to squeeze you. The pressure 
is on each of us. And the pressure on each of us will tell the truth about us. The pressure on you right now will tell it like it is about you right now. The pressure on me right now will tell the way it is about me right now. Your values will be squeezed out of you, and my values will be squeezed out of me as we both wait on earth for Christ to return. Remember, pressures squeeze, and what comes out of us under pressure is what's really in us before the pressure. And so when you are squeezed by various pressures, values already inside of you will come out of you. And so the first point we've covered in the sermon is that pressured persons are to dwell on Christ's coming. That's the first point of this passage. Pressured persons are to dwell on Christ's second coming. The second point in this paragraph is that pressured persons are to display three values. It's force or inflation. Three values are to be expressed when we are squeezed by pressure. Three things that I've put a letter P on each to remember. Patience, positivity, and plain truth talk. When you are squeezed, as you are now or you will be, when you are squeezed, what God wants to come out of you under the pressure is patience, positivity, and plain truth talk. We see the patience in verses 7 and 8 and verses 10 and 11 of our passage. We see the positivity in verse 9, and we see the plain truth talk in verse 12. So let's get a grab on it. Let's, let's grab it and remember it, that we are to dwell on one thing, the second coming of Christ when pressured, and as we are pressured, we are to allow and to cause and to choose three things to come out of us, patience, positivity, and plain truth talk. Let's take them one at a time. Patience, the first thing that God has in this passage that he wants to have come out of you when you are pressured is patience. Pressures ought to extract patience out of us. Man, that's counterintuitive. It's not what you would think that, oh, I'm pressured, you don't know how much I have to do in this day? I didn't count on that. Usually what comes out of me in my flesh when I'm pressured is impatience. But God says, no, no, no. When you let the Spirit of God control and change you, fill you, that what should come out of you and will come out of you as the Spirit controls you is that you will see patience come out of you when you're pressured. How much better? Seven and eight? Be patient. Therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord, behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient when pressured. And then skipping down to verses 10 and 11, patience is there again. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 11, behold, we count those blessed and who endured, you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Say that with me. Is full of compassion 
and is merciful. God is full of compassion and is merciful. And so God says the first thing that ought to be squeezed out of us as we're filled and controlled by the Spirit and we're under pressure is patience. And he gives three examples of people in the Bible or in everyday life who were pressured and patience came out of them. The first example is the farmer. The second example is the Old Testament prophets. And the third example is Job. Now, what do a farmer, the Old Testament prophets, and Job have in common? Why could all three be patient under pressure? Why can a farmer be patient under pressure? And why could the Old Testament prophets be patient under pressure? And why could Job, bless his heart, why could Job be patient under pressure? Here's how. All three believed in the compassion and the mercy of God. Do you believe in the compassion and the mercy of God? Do you really believe in it? We can sing about it. But when we put our head on the pillow at night and we've been pressured all day, do we go to sleep drifting off and think, you know, God, through it all, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but through it all, I believe, I take to the bank that my God is full of compassion and is merciful. When we believe that, when we are pressured, we can be patient. When you and I are convinced that our God is compassionate and merciful, we can wait for the early growing season rains without getting angry and discouraged. When you and I are sure of our God's compassion and mercy, we can deliver his message to stubborn, unresponsive people who want to kill us without giving up or becoming cynical. When we are sold out to the fact that our God is compassion and mercy, we can endure the loss of health, the loss of family, the loss of business, the loss of friends without winding up bitter and an atheist. I just described to you the farmer, the Old Testament prophets, and Job. I don't know what you're pressured by. I know what some of you are pressured by. You've told me today. But the majority of you, I don't know what you're pressured by today. I'd like to know. I can pray for you. But I don't know what the majority here this morning is pressured under. You don't know what I'm pressured under. But I know we're all pressured. Patience can come out of our pressure if and only if we believe that our Lord is compassionate and merciful. Verse 11 tells it like it is. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the entrance of endurance, excuse me, of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Again, church, is full of compassion and is merciful. Say it again. Is full of compassion 
and is merciful. If that doesn't excite and calm you, then your wood is wet. <laughs> if that doesn't light on fire your hope in pressure, then your wood is wet. Because God is full of compassion. He has all the compassion that exists in the universe he created. He is perfect compassion. He is not fickle compassion. He is not exhaustible compassion. He is ultimate, full compassion toward little old you, toward little old me. God is full of compassion and is merciful. When a spirit-filled Christian is squeezed, patience comes out. But there's a second thing that comes out when a spirit-filled Christian is pressured, and the second thing is positivity. The second thing is that, that the value that comes out of a spirit-filled, pressured Christian is positivity, not negativity. Positivity. When pagan, unsaved, unchurched and, uh, people are, are squeezed, Negativity comes out, not positivity. But you know what? A carnal Christian who's walking after the flesh and not controlled by the Holy Spirit, a born-again person who's carnal, negativity will come out of them when they're pressured too. Think of this, some of the characters in the Old Testament who had positivity squeeze out of them when they were pressured. Oh, I think of Joseph in Egypt. Sold into slavery. Bogus story told to his daddy. He was killed by wild beasts. Put into slavery in Egypt. Potiphar's wife tries to sexually frame him, rises to power, second under Pharaoh, storehouses the grain of Egypt to feed the world that was in famine. If anybody had a time in his life that would have been negative, it would have been Joseph. Can't believe this, God. But he was positive, even forgave those rascals and his brothers. Or think of Daniel. Patrick Rutherford preached on Daniel, I'm told, in the 8 a.m., Service, and when it gets up on the uh, webpage, I'm going to view that sermon. But he talked about Daniel, apparently, and how he resisted the world, although he was in the world of Babylon as a 16-year-old who grew to be an 80-something-year-old in captivity. Daniel, if anybody had a chance to be, and a reason in the world's eyes to be negative, I'm 16 years old, I'm minding my own business, I'm worshiping the true and living God of the Hebrews, and they cart me away to Babylon from my high school. Kidding. From my neighborhood. God, how could you? No, 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 no. He applied himself. He, he gave alternative offerings to the pagans so he wouldn't compromise the stand he knew he would not compromise before he got to Babylon. That's key. Before he got into captivity, he purposed in his heart not to defile God. 16 years old. And what came out of him in Babylon? Positivity. Civil service of such a quality that he rose in Babylon to a high position. And the only way his enemies could frame him as an 80-year-old civil servant in Babylon was they knew he prayed at certain times of the day, and they conned the king into banning prayer to anybody but the king. And Daniel's prayer life was so consistent, they took the uh, Babylonian Gestapo to see him praying in the threw him in the lion's den, and God gave the lion's lockjaw. Think about that. If anybody could have been pressured, it would have been Daniel, 16 years old, 
If anybody could have been negative in that pressure, it could have been Daniel, but he was positive. He served God. He prayed to God. He did his best for God. He glorified God in the civil service of Babylon. Or take Paul. Wherever Paul went, the Apostle Paul, there was either revival or riot. Beaten within an inch of his life more than once. Shipwrecked. Jailed. He could have been negative. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Jesus, before Pilate, he had been tried three times through the night illegally according to the law. Three illegal trials Jesus endured. Opened not his mouth. On the cross. Could have been negative. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When you are pressured, when I am pressured, God is able to squeeze out of us positivity that he has put into us before we experience the pressure. You do know that complaining will be judged, it says in verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Oh, so if we complain against each other, we will be judged? Hmm. Takes away gossip in the prayer meeting. I just want to share this as a prayer request. And you stab somebody in the back. Do not complain, Brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. You yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the the judge, capital J, the judge, is standing right at the door. The second coming of Christ is right at the door. (laughs) The judge is about to enter earth. Please rise. The courtroom is going to be said, please rise. Justice, King Jesus is going to enter the courtroom when he returns. And so we have incentive, I hope, that we will stop complaining because the judge is at the door and he judges complaining. You know, not grumbling and complaining is a choice as much as grumbling and complaining is a choice. We have the choice. But did you notice that complainers attract complainers? And positive people attract positive people? Who do you want to attract you? Well, if you want complainers all around you, then complain and sin. You want positive people all around you, then be positive. Even when you're squeezed by pressures. Several years ago, many years ago, in the afternoon, a passenger train pulled into a small Quaker town in Pennsylvania. There were those near where we used to pastor. As it stopped, a stranger swung off the train. He walked over to the group of people on the platform and asked, what type of town is this and what kind of people live here? A local townsman looked at him in the eye and asked, what kind of a place did you come from and what were the people like who lived there? The stranger then replied to the Quaker, they were hard people to get along with and the town was noisy. Without hesitation, the Quaker told the stranger, this is the same kind of town and the same kind of people live here. So the stranger got back onto the train. (laughs) Mission accomplished. 
The next afternoon, when the train pulled in again to the station, off popped another stranger. Smiling, he approached to the group of local Quakers on the platform and cheerfully said, Hi there, I'm looking for a town to live in permanently. What do you have here? Once more, the Quaker replied, Where did you come from, and what were the people like there? And the happy tone of the stranger said, I came from a happy place. The people were kind and friendly. Without hesitation, the Quaker told them, You'll find the same kind of people here. Complainers attract complainers. Positive people attract positive people. Which do you want? Who do you want to run with? Who do you want to hang with? Positivity puts to death complaining. Yes, the, verse 9 says the judge is standing at the door and the implication is that Christ, who is the judge, is just about to return through the door to take his rightful place on the courtroom bench. And that word picture should cause all of us, the men in the pulpit and the people in the pew, and those in the parking lot listening, it should cause all of us to value positivity in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially when we are being pressured and they are being pressured. And so may we stop grumbling. May we stop complaining. May we be positive. Not in spite of pressure, because of pressure. Controlled by the Holy Spirit. The third and the last value that should come out of you and me when we are pressured is another P, plain truth talk. Patience, positivity. Third, plain truth talk. You know, saying what we mean and meaning what we say. Not having to swear on a Bible to guarantee that we're telling the truth. In fact, not having to swear on anything to guarantee that we're telling the truth. Look at verse 12, will you? But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. God expects that when we are pressured, that we don't say, well, I I couldn't get out of that jam at work. I had to. No. No. When you have a jam at work, you plain truth talk. Don't fudge it. Don't give them shades of truth. Exaggeration. Plain truth talk. Let the consequences of your obedience under pressure when you do plain truth talk fall with God. Can God keep you in your job when you say something that's a truth that your boss asked you about and he doesn't like? Can you trust God to keep you in your job? Can you trust God to give you another better job if you tell the plain truth to your boss who doesn't want to hear it and he fires you? Can you trust God for that? Oh, yeah, because he's full of compassion and is merciful. Say that with me. Is full of compassion and is merciful. That's your God. That's my God. He's full of compassion and he is merciful. So we can plain truth talk even when people around us say, you admitted that? Yeah, I did. Because my God is full of compassion and is merciful. He'll look after me. When we say yes, it should be yes. When we say no, it should be no. We should have plain truth talk, even and especially when we're pressured. I heard a true story of a pastor who was called to testify in a family law case. He did so, and in the course of his remarks in court, he lied. And the lie was eventually detected, as all lies are, by the way. 
The courtroom was in the southern United States, where there was still at that time respect for the pastorate and for the church in society as, at large. And so the court showed mercy to this lying pastor, and the court protected the dignity of his pastorate by not pressing perjury charges against the lying clergyman. But when the man's congregation, when his church family heard what had happened in court, they could no longer view him as their pastor. They had lost both their respect for him and their trust in him. And I don't fault them for that. He had to leave town and take a new job. I believe that outcome was understandable. To whom much is given, much shall be required. Christian leaders have a higher standard than other believers. I know of another pastor, rather young, and when he had his first job interview with his first church, he had a nervous habit of repeatedly saying, well, to tell you the truth, dot, dot, dot. I was in the circle asking him questions, and the first four questions we asked him, he started with, well, to tell you the truth, 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 and finally one of the pastors said, Doug, we assume you're going to tell us the truth in this interview, and we assume you're going to only speak the truth outside of this interview, and when you keep saying, well, to tell you the truth, we have reason to wonder if you're not telling us the truth when you don't tell us that. Plain talk truth. When you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. When you lie, you have to remember what you said and tell more lies. When you tell the truth, plain truth talk, especially when you're pressured, it draws attention to your Savior who makes you bold and true and integrity. I heard an amen, and I'm sure if I passed a mic around and somebody, let me, tell me, when you had plain truth talk and how it turned heads toward your Jesus, many hands would go up. That's how it works. Pressure should never be an excuse for lying. And on the contrary, pressure should bring out, squeeze out the value that we have all the time of plain truth talk. Verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So in these minutes in God's word this morning, we've seen that pressure should make us dwell on Christ's second coming. We've also seen that when pressured, we should see squeezed out of us what we've already cultivated in us by walking in the Holy Spirit before we were pressured, the values of patience, the values of positivity, and the values of plain truth talk. I want you to imagine yourself being in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian. Maybe you've seen your uncle beheaded by ISIS. Maybe your daughter's been taken away as a child bride to ISIS and is continuously raped. I want you to imagine being in that church. 
pressured. What do you think they dwell on? Whether the music in the underchurch was their favorite? Whether the service let out on time, if they can have a service? They're dwelling on their daddy coming back to Walmart to get them out of there. They're dwelling on Jesus coming again. And as they dwell on Jesus coming again, whether it's a group in a house of 20, 30 people underground, or whether it's one Christian alone with a Bible, if they have a Bible, or a portion of the Bible, they're borrowing, and they say, even so come, Lord Jesus. And when a Christian who is pressured dwells on the second coming truth of Jesus, patience comes out of that person, and positivity comes out of that person, and plain talk truth comes out of that person. Someone is saying, well, he's wrapping up now. I think he's going to land the plane. But you know what we shouldn't say this morning? Well, the sermon's done. Because this sermon is not done until we see Jesus. This sermon is not done until we wait for his return And we see him face to face, either through death or rapture. That's when this sermon is done. It was Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China, who said, it matters not how great the pressure is, it only matters where the pressure lies. It matters not how great your pressure is, what matters is where you have let your pressure lie. May we all, in prayer, let our pressures lie squarely on Jesus. Because when we do, and we dwell on his second coming, then we will exude when squeezed patience, positivity, and plain truth talk. Be patient, therefore, brethren. Until the coming of the Lord, behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed Who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and his merciful. Church is full of compassion and is merciful. Again, is full of compassion and is merciful. Loud. Is full of compassion and is merciful. Hang on to that. But above all, my brethren, Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath, other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this paragraph. Easier to read, easier to study, easier to preach than it is to live. But thank you with your calling always comes your enabling. Thank you the Spirit of God who wrote the verses lives within the blood-bought child of God. And he can produce a bent a habit of us dwelling on the second coming of Jesus. And in so doing, when we are squeezed by all kinds of pressures, 
that he can produce patience and positivity and plain truth talk out of us. And what a testimony, what a jaw-dropping thing for someone without Jesus to see in us. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.